Welcome to the You Mentor Talk program right here on WASR.live. This program is to mentor our youth uh, to path to to help them to path a course uh, in their careers um, for the future. If you would like to learn more about um, uh, the You Mentor program, you can find out more information by going to the You Mentor uh, website, and I will give that information to you later on in the program. My name is Dawood St. Clair, and I'm so honored to be with you again for the uh, second episode. We have two uh, giants in their uh, fields of medicine. Uh, one, uh, Sister uh, Barack Hussein, is no stranger to us. Her qualifications are impeccable, uh, uh, internationally uh, renowned, um, uh, inshallah. So we'll be speak checking in with her. And, uh, and my second guest will be Dr. Um, uh, Alou, who's also um, in a, a, a giant in his medical profession, graduated from uh, Columbia University uh, with a bachelor's uh, degree in, in um, medical science and a whole host of other qualifications behind his name. And without further ado, let's welcome both of our guests. Welcome, uh, my dear brother and sister, to the program. Can you hear me? Salam alaikum to you both. Salam. Salam alaikum, Dr. Alu. Welcome to the program. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. And Sister Bora, can you hear me? I'm not sure if Sister, uh, she was on a second ago, Let's, as, as we're going to try and connect with her. Uh, uh, Dr. Alu, welcome to the You Mentor program. Uh, while we're getting our uh, dear sister um, on the air. So uh, how, is it, how, is it, how has it been for you today? How, how is your day going so far? Alhamdulillah, everything is, is going well. I just wanted to start by, by thanking um, you as well as the Umoja team for inviting me to be a part of this, this program. I think programs like this are incredibly important for um, our community. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm I'm really excited to be. be thank you, sir. And thank you, sir. And I'm not. Sure. Let's see. I believe I. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, sister. How are you? Alhamdulillah. How are you? Ramadan Mubarak and blessings to all of you. You too, inshallah. And it's good. Uh, as I I was sharing uh, with the listeners earlier that you're not a stranger to WASR Asalam Radio, the voice of knowledge and peace. Welcome back. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I believe that it was around this time last year that yeah. we spoke. Yeah. Was it was it that long? <laughs> Yes. Wow. Wow. Time does fly when you're enjoying yourselves. So, um, Dr. Alu, I'm going to start with the, uh, my sister first, because as you know, it's late ladies first. Of course. <laughs> sister Barak has been great. Uh, you have you, you, your your bio is impeccable. Um, you're not, uh, like I said, I'm not a stranger to us. So I will skip most of what they already know, uh, however, um, but it's the international uh, accolade that you now have that I, I would like you to share with the listeners. But first, before I get into that, how how did you come to choose the, the present path that you're on now, your present career? Ever since I was a child, I've always enjoyed listening to people's stories and sharing and and this was the natural path for me as I got onto where I am today in, in the hopes of always being there for people and helping people. Now, I come from an Iraqi Arab cultural background where it's either you're a doctor or an engineer, really nothing in between. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the usual trend that we have in our culture. And so growing up in that kind of environment, even though I lived in Canada uh, for most of my life, that was the path I was supposed to be on, to be a medical doctor. That's the best way to help people. Mm -hmm. But I quickly realized that my strengths do not lie in biochemistry and organic chemistry and <laughs> inorganic chemistry. And mm -hmm. But I was fascinated by the sciences, especially coming from a background when my father is a physicist. Yes. And so I quickly realized my strengths do not lie that way academically, but rather through speaking, rather through listening, rather through through psychology, the social sciences, mm -hmm. English. And so alhamdulillah, I was able to foster that. But it was a long journey in the sense of self-discovery mm -hmm. to that because I still ended up going to university taking 
inorganic chemistry, <laughs> organic chemistry, and biochemistry, because I needed those for medical school. Mm-hmm. I did that while taking a psychology degree. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, my psychology uh, courses suffered <laughs> because of, yeah, they suffered because my attention was put on the heavier courses, which I wasn't doing that great in. Mm-hmm. But on that journey, you know, meeting people, talking to people, um, just recognizing where my abilities lay. I also was able to work at the university where I was um, in the career services. There, I was able to sit with people, help them on their path, figure out what they want to do, either, you know, look for a job or career path. So as a student, I was exposed to different programs that we had at the university, and one of which was the graduate studies in counseling. So I went to find out information for my own clients, little knowing that this was the path for me in terms of, hey, this is exactly what I want to be doing. I have all the skills and abilities to get into this program, and I'm confident, inshallah, to be able to do well with these type of sciences as opposed to the hard sciences, and I didn't think I'd get into medical school anyways. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So alhamdulillah, I made that decision and I never looked back. I do recall this afternoon where I had the medical school application in one hand and uh, calling my mother on the other hand on the phone saying, you know, mom, I think I'm going to be doing this instead. I'm not going to apply to medical school. I'm going to go for this program. Alhamdulillah, that's how you could say I got to it. But it, it took years of trying to understand that. And especially on a personal level, because um my personality type is the giver type. So I would listen to people and give of myself and it becomes a fine line. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this later on in in our actual work, Mm -hmm. but it it was definitely something that I was cognizant of from the beginning. And my mother, who is a huge guide in my life, God bless her Mm -hmm. said, how are you going to take this on when you feel people's emotions, you take on people's emotions how are you going to do this in terms of helping people yet not destroy yourself in the process, basically? Mm-hmm. So this was the academic side of how I got to where I am today. Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. I was successful in my program. I enjoyed it. I loved it. And how I got to the Islamic counseling bit was fascinating in the sense that in one of my courses, the professor talked about Eastern like far east psychology and western psychology and jumped over the middle and i raised my hand and said well, what about the middle east or you know this part how come you don't talk about that i said that's what you're doing your research on wow. <laughs> so <laughs> subhanallah it was meant for me to go that path that way and i was already leaning towards that kind of research anyways for existential psychology um through the studies of dr victor frankel who was a famous jewish Holocaust survivor. Holocaust survivor, yes. Mm -hmm. That's right. And Mm -hmm. so it was through his studies that I was um, influenced Mm -hmm. to do my studies because he talked about the meaning of suffering. He talked Mm -hmm. about love. He talked about God Mm -hmm. when you are suffering. Mm -hmm. And those in his observations inside of the concentration camps involved, those survivors were the ones that were able to come through because they had this leaning towards faith in God, love, and finding meaning in suffering. And this was something that I deeply connected with. And so when I did my research and my studies on Islamic counseling theories and practice, there wasn't much out there. Nothing like what we have today, mashallah. We have conferences, we have journals, we have groups and specialists in the field now. That didn't exist back then when I was doing my studies. We had loosely translated articles or books on the topic, but nothing in a structured format of how to do counseling with Muslim clients. And so that was my research. So I tried to compile from the loosely translated books and articles on the internet and the qualitative research that I did in terms of speaking with scholars, speaking with alimas, speaking with religious folks and just people in these positions where they would be speaking and helping people with these types of problems and put that together in my thesis as a program of some sort, a structure of some sort as a a start, you know. And alhamdulillah, I was quite blessed when I became a clinician, a therapist, to apply these as needed, whether it was a Muslim client or not, or a client of different background who wanted faith-based type of counseling. And so I would use my knowledge base from that research. But then when you actually take research and apply it, it develops on its own. So this took a life of its own over the years, Mm -hmm. When social media became even more of a tool to get a certain message out there, I was always 
doing public speaking. I was always doing, you know, I'm seeing events, speaking here and there. And from a professional point of view, I was always doing that within my line of work, whether it's workshops on stress management, how to deal with cultural transition coming in from abroad or going abroad, speaking with other therapists on how to treat Muslim clients, things like that. But again, we did not have the kind of medium that we have today with the social platform. So a few years back, I started recording live some of these stuff that I was already doing. And that took on a life of its own when people started having more interest in a taboo topic within our community. Mm -hmm. And so I was requested by some Muslim students to do a full presentation on that. So that in fact, came we're naturally. Gonna, we're going to touch yeah. on that later on in the program. So, inshallah, I, uh, inshallah, my sister, I'm going to get back to you because we have some soul-searching questions to take care of uh, in, a, in a little <laughs> bit. Dr. Alou, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much again for having me. So, uh, graduated from Columbia University with... Um, uh, with a bachelor's in um, science, and now, um, and now at Harvard Medical School. How did you embark on your career, sir? Um, so, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, I was very, again, fortunate to be a part of a, a cultural community that I consider to be incredibly unique and, and, and nurturing. Um, I, our, our family is originally from East Africa, um, and they, they settled here in the late 70s and 80s and and we were able to establish a community um, within a lot of the melting pots in the United States including you know New York uh, parts of Florida uh, parts of uh, Canada um, so growing up in the community it, you know a lot of my friends and family we we, we grew up humbly a lot of uh, my parents um, a lot of our parents were sort of blue-collar um, didn't have any sort of traditional education and, and much like much like them I think you know being being a part of this community really led to the career trajectory that I've taken um, you know always giving back and, and 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 sort of working within this this uh, smaller community I think that that was something that was ingrained in me and and, and very naturally I think as as I you know um, progressed through my my high school and, and college it became very clear to me that that um, you know being a physician was something that I wanted to pursue because you know my interest in science um, you know along with with this with this sort of deeply ingrained sense of uh, community service um, just fit well and I think I was very very fortunate mm -hmm. to to get the opportunity to to study at Harvard Medical School. Um, did my my medical school training there, um, and then also went on to do my my residency at uh, in dermatology at Harvard. And now I'm back in in New York, where um, I work as a dermatologist on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. But um, as part of my my job title, I'm responsible for the dermatology residency at my hospital. In addition to um, wearing a couple of other administrative hats, yes, so, which which we're going to be talking about, yes. uh, inshallah. Now, uh, I'm glad you brought up um, your board certified dermatologist. So, my question to you, um, Doctor Alou, what are the uh, as uh, what what kind of stuff do you come across in dermatology now? When I hear about dermatology, I think of you know skin conditions like eczema and stuff like that. In fact, I have two of my children who suffer from this. So, how deep into um, dermatology do does your expertise uh, lead you, sir? Um, so, you know, I on a day to day basis, I, I see a lot of what we call bread and butter. So that eczema, psoriasis, um, which is sort of another chronic uh, skin condition, acne, and things of that nature. But, um, you know, I think over over the last 10 or 20 years, uh, the specialty has taken a hit in terms of, of image, and um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cosmesis and focus on um, aesthetic dermatology, which it's something that I'm not interested in, and something that I don't do at all. Now, now, could uh, could I ask why? <laughs> uh, it's just something I think that that for me was never um, appealing, mm -hmm. um, and something that I felt, you know, I obviously did the training in it, mm -hmm. but just something that I didn't um, didn't resonate with me at all. Um, uh, so I figured I figured I'd focus 
my interests on, on other things. And, and, and what's nice about the specialty is I have a, um, I have a, I wouldn't say an expertise. I just have an, an interest in what we call complex medical dermatology. Mm-hmm. So I take care of a lot of, um, patients, uh, with, with sort of very, uh, rare blistering diseases of the skin. Mm-hmm. Or I also work with oncologists, um, to take care of patients who are on various chemotherapies that t- develop certain toxicities in their skin. Um, I also take care of patients with diseases like lupus mm-hmm. that are incredibly debilitating and, um, you know, life altering. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, I, I, that's basically the, the, the crux of my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, uh, medical dermatology as we would call it, but then I also do a little bit of, uh, surgical dermatology. I do, you know, skin cancer surgeries and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So the variety keeps me, um, excited and, um, it's, it's a lot of fun going to work every day. So, um, again, Dr. Alou, uh, the, would, would it be fair to say that most, um, uh, skin diseases, uh, i.e., eczema and and all you know, uh, skin cancers and so on. Would it would it be fair to say that most of them derive from liver problems? So um, there, that's a good question. I I think that the the basis for a lot of skin diseases is varied. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have skin disease that. Um, is, is, can be due just to the anatomy, the normal anatomy of your skin. So, you know, for example, on a very basic level, acne is, is a disease of, of our oil glands, you know, and some people who have bad acne, unfortunately have overproductive oil glands. Now there are, there are dermatologic diseases that are a product of, um, you know, liver damage, but, um, the the body the skin is the largest organ in the body and 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 fortunately for us it's oftentimes a window to a lot of what's going on um in in someone's uh in, in someone's normal physiology so i've diagnosed cancers in people based on findings in their skin i've diagnosed bowel disease in in patients who have who come to me with ulcers so because of that, it's incredibly fulfilling, and um, it again, it provides an incredible amount of variety that 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 makes it a lot of fun to go to work every day. I am talking with uh, Al-Rizad, uh, uh, Dr. Al-Rizad Alou, uh, board certified dermatologist. Uh, he's one of my special guests here on the You Mentor program here on WASR.life. And also my second special guest, uh, doc, um, uh, Sister Hossein, uh, Sister uh, Bar- <laughs> Barack Hossein. <laughs> there you I, go. I, I, have, I have another Hossein on the brain. Very de- he's become a very dear friend of mine. Mm, and, he's and, here in Canada, by the way. Wow! <laughs> Wave to him for me, <laughs> inshallah. inshallah. Please give him salam. So, my sister, your uh, your profession is a um, s- certified um, psychologist. Now, it's not something actually mm-hmm. not psychologist. Uh, uh, Reg- registered, registered psychotherapist. psychotherapist. There is I'm, a difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a difference. <laughs> I was going to ask, um, yeah. what is the difference between the two? So a psychologist mm-hmm. is somebody who had completed their PhD studies, their mm-hmm. doctorate graduate studies, and they are given the title of doctor. Mm-hmm. A psychologist would be somebody who can diagnose mm-hmm. as well as treat, but they do not they do not have the ability to prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. A psychotherapist such as myself mm-hmm. is somebody who's done graduate studies at the master's level mm-hmm. and who is a clinician who can do the actual therapy. We can recognize and identify symptoms but we don't actually have the ability to diagnose Hmm. we are the most popular are you there my sister a specialist like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. yes can you hear me yes we lost you you there for a second could you repeat um the last um uh, minute or so the last minute or so. Not the last I minute. I remember what I said. The last <laughs> you, we, thing I was you were, you were talking what a about. Yes, what a psych, uh, the di- how, how does, um, you were talking about the diagno- um, how a psychotherapist uh, gets the opportunity to diagnose and so on. I think that's really. So a psychologist would do that. Mm-hmm. A psychotherapist would be somebody such as myself who mm-hmm. does the actual treatment and, mm-hmm. and sessions. So we don't diagnose mm-hmm. illnesses. We uh, recognize what they are. We would get the diagnosis from a 
a psychologist mm-hmm. or a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist, let's say, is somebody who's gone through the medical school process, mm-hmm. who is a specialist in severe mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. They can diagnose, they can treat, and they can also prescribe medication. So there's a number of people in the profession that have the legal ability to do certain things, whereas others cannot. So this is usually covered by your medical health insurance in terms of a medical doctor. A psychologist would be something uh, covered by your health insurance, not necessarily your medical insurance. So they tend to be the expensive ones to go to. And this, the psychotherapists, also known as counselors, therapists, mm-hmm. but right now in Ontario where we are, mm-hmm. we have an actual designation and we are under a legal body just like any other profession in the field. Nobody can call themselves now a therapist without having this process and this designation. And so we would do the actual therapy. We are, let's say, more economical to get to. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more of us as we're not um, specialized. Such mm-hmm. Some are specialized in certain fields, such as myself. But they're mostly generalists in terms of the therapy that we can do. You see them in institutions, you see them in universities and colleges and uh, health centers and so forth. So there's a lot more of us than the actual psychologists and, so, and we're easily accessible. So let me ask you this, my sister. Now, when every time the word, you know, psycho comes up, it de- it, mm-hmm. it brings out uh, a certain, it, it denounces a certain type of uh, mental state. I'll put it that way. And so would you, how would you, I mean, coming from your background, from the Middle East, how, how is psychotherapy looked upon in places like Iraq, you know, uh, um, you know, in, in, in I'm going to say the Middle East per se, in, in the mainly Arabic speaking countries. How is it looked well, upon? Well, I mean, we can generalize this to the ethno-cultural community <laughs> in, at large, yes. not necessarily just Arabic, mm-hmm. but the, it's it's very similar. And I'm generalizing here, but the, mm-hmm. the response is, this is only for crazy people. If you go see mm-hmm. any specialist related to mental health, mm-hmm. then this means you are crazy. You're crazy, you're mad. That's mm-hmm. the misconception. Yes, mm-hmm. you are mad, as mm-hmm. the British would say. <laughs> there is that misconception that mm-hmm. it has to do either with you being insane, you're mm-hmm. possessed when we're talking about Muslims specifically. Mm-hmm. If you know, you're possessed by jinn, mm-hmm. you're you're not well that way. The evil eye has hit you. There's all these taboos and misconceptions around it. People are afraid to talk about mental health, mm-hmm. anything related to the mind and the soul and the spirit, because it's a realm we're not that knowledgeable about when it comes to physical health. Now you notice how the doctor, God bless him, was talking about how satisfying it is to help people who are dealing with all, you know, ulcers or dealing with any kind of condition that's affecting them from reaching their full potential in their life. Medical, physical condition. People run to medical doctors for help well, most of the time and they are okay with getting medical treatment, whether it's medication or doing what they have to do. Yet when we talk about mental health, there's a huge stigma and misconception around it because it is related to the idea of being crazy, the idea of being contagious and and, and so forth. And so what's ironic here, especially through the research that I did and through the work that I'm doing now for the last uh, 10 or 12 years now, you see people, especially Muslims, when you talk to them and, you know, in the basic terms, does not does our faith not talk about the self, the nafs, mm-hmm. the soul, the spirit, the different fluctuating parts of ourselves, the lower part of ourselves, the part that's always in struggle, the part that we all, the serene part that we want to get to. This is mentioned in the Quran. This is also mentioned by the Ahadith, the Prophet and the Ahl al-Bayt. It's in our Sunnah, but we don't look at it that way. So this is the work that I have been trying to do is to break down the barriers and the misconceptions around mental health, psychology, over well-being when it comes to cultural, but also specifically within the Muslim community. So how, how have you, I mean, what steps have you took uh, in the past and what methods are you using now to break down the taboo barriers that we have, mm-hmm. especially among, uh, uh, amongst the Muslim communities? Because you know, a lot of us are very uh, I don't know if introverted is the is the right term to use. We don't like our personal stuff out there. That's right. Uh, That's right. And, and people, you know, what 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 will what will my you know, the community think if they heard that I have this problem? How have you dealt with issues like that? 
Well, it's been interestingly strategic mm-hmm. uh, along the way the last few years in terms of how I've gone about it. And there's many layers. Mm-hmm. So I first started out just doing what I was doing, which is talking about it within the lectures that I was invited in to speak at, whether there were small groups of people or bigger ones or people just contacting me within the community. Hey, I have a problem with my wife. I have a problem with my child. Um, Then it got to the point where these problems were coming out more because we don't talk about them, like you said, in our community where we had a suicide that took place a few years back um, in one of our families in the community. And that triggered off a you know, a lot of responses in, in the community, how people deal with this. And it took, I remember a, a pharmacist was talking about medications for people dealing with mental illness in a, in a mosque. Mm-hmm. And I, and I sat to myself, I'm like, hold on a second. I'm a specialist in this area and I'm not doing much to really talk about, I'm seeing the clients that come in. I'm seeing the students that are coming and I'm, I'm hearing the problems, but we're not really talking about it. A pharmacist is talking about this. I should be also talking about this because I'm seeing the actual patients. You're, you're, in, like the, that you're in the business, list. yes. Mm-hmm. So it was that I remember unfortunate, <clears throat> excuse me, situation that, <clears throat> excuse me, that opened up that idea and it flew and and took its you know its own course when a few months after I was at a conference in Montreal, which is a, a city next to Ottawa where the Muslim community there had a conference on addictions and drugs in the community. And we had a well-known speaker, Brother Hajj Hassanin Rajab Ali was there. We had also non-Muslim speakers as well talking about addictions. Alvin Powell, who's a famous uh, former football player who um, had a notorious drug addiction past and was very openly Mm -hmm. talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it was there that I was very inspired by that, me along with a group of young people that was 60 of us that came from Ottawa. And so we said, we need to do something like this in Ottawa. What shall we do? And I said, something with mental health. We have to do a conference on mental health. We stayed up that entire night, mashallah, Mm -hmm. brainstorming, thinking of what to do. And that took on the life a few months down the road of the group that we developed here in Ottawa, known as the Serenity Islamic Mental Health Awareness Initiative. With that, we developed and put on Monthly psychoeducational workshops with simple topics such as what is mental health? Who are the practitioners? What is stress? Am I stressed, depressed, or anxious? We brought in people of different backgrounds, Muslim as well as non-Muslim, and different um, community members with mental health background to talk about these topics. We looked at suicide. We looked at drugs and addictions. We looked at relationships. And so we had this all leading up to what? the Canadian media said, and I didn't know at the time, was Canada's first Muslim mental health conference. Alhamdulillah, we had a variety of speakers of different backgrounds as well, people from the States, from all over Canada, uh, and again, Muslim as well as non-Muslim background, talking about these topics in a beautiful three-day conference that we had about two years ago, around this time in May. That's how it started like that, from the community-based type of work. And I was doing my own work through the medium of the Muslim counselor where I would be doing workshops. I was invited to speak here and there about different topics. And again, that took me all over the world as well, England, Australia. And then we started mixing different types of lectures, meaning um, people were interested in hearing about this in the centers, in the mosques, in the Islamic centers, not just at the academic university uh, lectures where Muslim students would bring me in. So we started taking common concepts from the Quran, from the Hadith, social issues, and connecting them to modern day issues. Mm-hmm. So I was very strategic in the sense, for example, I'd be attending a conference and there were well-known speakers there, Muslim speakers, scholars. And so, you know, when we had the Q&A at the end in front of 400 to 800 people, I'd be the one talking about, so what are your <laughs> thoughts on mental health? Why are people not talking about this in the community? What are your thoughts on how we can eliminate some of the taboos? And so the scholars were put in a position of, wow, how do I talk about this? They didn't some expect this did coming. <laughs> no, but alhamdulillah, they took it on. They started answering this. And so this developed over the years as well to the point where now I'm sitting on the same platform with these speakers talking about this. So alhamdulillah, you see now that there isn't, more of an open interest because we have been breaking the taboos around it. We are talking about depression. We are talking about the effects of abuse in the house. We are talking about suicide, drug addictions, cross-cultural 
generational issues with parents coming in from different countries, raising their children here. We're losing a generation of Muslims due to these problems and challenges, and we were not talking about it openly enough. Now, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another to have practical solutions and support and help. And that's the difference when lecturers and Islamic speakers are talking about these issues than when you have people with mental health background, with some kind of Islamic training, which there is a lack of. And I make it very clear, I do not have any scholarly Islamic training but I have studied it a little bit in terms of my clinical experience and, and research experience. And so when you have that combination, this is where you make change. People come to you for support. And I can't tell you how I get these messages from all over the world now through social media because people are seeing the importance of it now. One more thing is because we've been doing that in lectures and going live and doing all sorts of work through social media, the Media, in terms of TV, has taken an interest in this in terms of exploring this topic. So I've done a few documentaries now and TV shows with a variety of, of television stations, Ahlul Bayt TV, mm-hmm. um, the, the Muslim Vibe, which is based in London, as well yes. as Imam Hussein mm-hmm. TV, mm-hmm. <clears throat> where we've done series of uh, talk shows, so to speak, exploring these topics. Mm-hmm. And questions are coming in from people who want actual solutions to their problems. So this is how we've gotten the message out through the Serenity Initiative that we've been working on in the last few years here in Ottawa, mm-hmm. as well through my medium of the Muslim Counselor through social media and, of course, my professional clinical work. Right. And I've seen the positive mm-hmm. response just through the personal messages that I get, just through the ongoing requests to come and speak at camps, to come and speak at religious events, to come and have actual events put on for mental health well-being. Now, my latest project, SubhanAllah, is working with the Zahra Trust, which is a UK charity organization for widows and children and orphans, where they have now taken on an interest in developing not only meeting the needs of the this vulnerable population, but looking at their well-being. And alhamdulillah, I've gone down already last month and I came back and working on how we can develop this further in terms of combining, again, the Islamic context, the social, the emotional, the mental, the psychological, to developing programs to empower this vulnerable population. So you see how people are now seeing the importance of this because we do see the social breakdown within our families and community. All right. I'm talking with Sister Borak uh, Hussein, a renowned psychotherapist with a number of international accolades behind her name. Dr. Alou, uh, we haven't forgotten about you, sir. No, not a problem. I mean, it's, it's incredibly inspiring to hear mm-hmm. about the work of other professionals. And I yes. think that, um, Sister mm-hmm. Barack is doing an, an amazing job on a, on in an area that's, that's incredibly needed. So uh, right. kudos, sir. I will bless you, brother. You too. Uh, I would ask uh, Dr. Alou now, what is the most exciting um in fact it's a two-part question so i'll ask you know what is the most exciting thing uh that you have done or that you've come across in your uh present career as a board certified uh, dermatologist so uh, alhamdulillah i think um you know it's one of these one of these things where i feel like uh when your when your job provides you with as much fulfillment as as my job does on a day-to-day basis i find a lot of things exciting so um you know i've been i've been very fortunate to speak you know nationally and internationally and and that's brought me a lot of joy and it's been a lot of fun to meet people within within the sort of academic community that i that i work in but i think that the 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 single most activity that that brings me a lot of joy is is some of the clinical stuff that i do um you know as i mentioned before uh, community and community service have always been a huge part of of my life and has been sort of integral, I think, to my development as an individual. Um, so for me, throughout all phases of, of um, my academic career, I've tried to, to give back in any way that I can. Um, so what's been nice is in this country, you know, access to dermatologic care is, is incredibly um, difficult. I mean, a, a lot of dermatologists are booked three, four, five months out, and that that makes it incredibly difficult to get an appointment. And what's harder is is for for patients who are marginalized and underserved, 
some of these individuals don't even have access um, to to sort of regular dermatologic care. So we've been able to establish um, a clinic that that I sort of supervise um, on a weekly basis where we take care of the homeless and we take care of those um, who may not have uh, ready access to to dermatologic care. Um, and it's it's been incredibly rewarding because, you know, for, for people who've been dealing with very, um, you know, I think a very common problems like eczema and like acne have never never been able to get it treated. So for me, it's, it's been it's been something uh, amazing to, to, to offer them a service where, you know, we can we can provide some type of relief and some type of um, intervention uh, to improve their quality of life. So is, has there been ever been in your career a, I guess, a skin condition that that you could never get your brain around? You know, how do I tell this patient, look, there there isn't any there isn't much more I could do. And, you know, you you're trying to move heaven and earth. Have you ever come across a situation like that uh, in, in your medical profession? Ray, you had to bring, I guess, disappointment. The patient is looking for an answer to this question. Why is this happening? And have you ever come across a situation where an answer could not be given? And how did you handle it? Yeah, certainly. I think that, um, you know, these these types of challenges come up um, routinely. And, and being at an academic center, we get a lot of referrals um, where patients have seen a variety of different dermatologists and are seeking our, you know, quote unquote expert care. But there are there are a lot of diseases that are challenging um, that, you know, that sometimes for whatever reason, the patient's other sort of comorbid diseases don't allow us to treat as aggressively or, you know, their their stage in life. So I think it becomes challenging and, and much like you know, much like Sister Barack has, has spoken about, I think focusing on quality of life and, and sort of mental health in these circumstances is, is incredibly important. Um, so what, you know, what I always try to do is, is, is do my best to ensure that, you know, if, if I can't meet the, the medical needs or, or sort of the interventional needs or the clinical interventional needs of my patients, at least I'm providing them with, with the support and the resources that they need to, to allow them to navigate their disease in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're very fortunate, at least where, where I practice in New York, to have multiple academic centers, multiple experts, and multiple, you know, uh, just incredible minds um, where we are able to pool our resources together and provide patients with the, the support and, and, and need and, and care that they need. Um, but, you know, to, to answer your, your question very simply, it does happen. It does happen routinely. But I think at that point, we, we try to focus on other aspects of care and deliver, deliver care that will at least improve our patients' quality of, uh, qualities of life. Now, I mean, I have my daughter uh, sitting here in the studio with me who suffers from eczema. In fact, when she was born, she had it pretty bad. But alhamdulillah, it has calmed down a whole lot. What are the what are the best remedies that um, somebody like me or my daughter who came to you and says, you know, look, I have eczema. Uh, I can't I can't cure it. But is there a particular diet, a particular cream, a lotion that uh, we could use, you know, to make uh, to make the suffering uh, or to alleviate some of the suffering, the itching, you know, all that kind of stuff? Certainly, brother. I'll send the bill in the mail. <laughs> I tried. No, not a problem. Um, I'm just go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, eczema is, is a common condition that we mm-hmm. deal with, and and, and it's a, it's a disease where, um, you know, as you as you mentioned, it's more of a chronic disease that mm-hmm. we manage rather than cure, mm-hmm. and it and it it, it varies in severity. Um, but at, at the basis of, of care and eczema, I, I kind of break it down for my patients. Like you, if you think about your skin as almost like a brick wall, you have the, the bricks and then you have the cement mortar in between. 
for patients with eczema, their mortar is not as good as, you know, the mortar of, of somebody who doesn't have eczema. So you have to be very mindful about um, anything that can, can sort of irritate or, or sort of break down that mortar. So, you know, hot showers, um, you know, using, using sort of very fragranced products, all those things irritate our skin and will irritate um, the skin of patients with eczema even more. Um, you know, common interventions that, that I think really do make a, a big, big difference. Um, you know, using, using products that are not lotions, because lotions are, are more water-based and focusing on products that are more cream or ointment-based um, definitely make a difference. Um, other things that are great for children and young adults are, are very dilute bleach baths. So using, you know, filling up a full tub of, of, of uh, you know, f- filling up your tub with water and putting a quarter cup of Clorox bleach, just much like to be in a pool. Um, that, that has been shown to, to help with inflammation and to decrease bacterial burden, which is uh, more prevalent in patients with eczema. Um, in terms of diet, there aren't very many things that, um, you know, I would say, uh, affect eczema in that regard. I think that's been a, been a common misconception. But patients with eczema are more likely to have allergies to, to certain common things like shellfish and things of that nature. So those allergies may present on the skin. But in and of itself, I don't think about a particular diet making eczema worse. So, you know, some of these common things, you know, using, using very uh, basic creams and ointments and using these bleach baths typically are, are good are good mechanisms and, and, and being very, very mindful about your sort of hygiene and, and cleansing habits typically help. You know, my daughter is sitting here. She's not liking you very much now because you're, right. you're, you're telling her the opposite. Of... <laughs> wow. But um, no, thank you uh, for that information, uh, my dear brother. So um, I'm going to go a little further afield here. And recently we heard in the news that there's now a reemergence of Ebola that's now rearing its ugly head in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, would it be fair to say that a lot of our skin conditions, diseases and stuff like that, that plagues us from time to time, are any of them man-made? That's a a good question. I Mm -hmm. I, I think that... um, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that we we do to ourselves that can certainly affect our skin and, and can can harm our skin. So, but I don't know if if you know a lot of the disease. At least I'm trying to think um, if there are anything. You know, we we have a whole we have a whole um, sort of. Uh, I, I think there's a variety of different diseases that are that we think about as neurotropic or psychotropic that, that involve, um, you know, multi, multidisciplinary care with, you know, with, with individuals like, um, sister Barack and, and psychiatrists and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But, but clinically aside from, um, you know, things that you, you would do to your skin, like, you know, putting on products or, or other, other things. I don't think about, I don't think about so many diseases, skin diseases, at least being man-made. Okay. All right. Uh, we've got approximately uh, eight minutes left in the program. I don't know if we have enough time to fit in some calls. Uh, if, you, if you do care to call in, we can keep them short. 407-853-5129. Sister Barak, um, back to you. Um, how, I mean, now one's definition of um, someone who is uh, not quite right. What What are the early signs, or some of the early signs, that that someone will be recommended to come to see someone like yourself? What would What would cause uh, uh, someone in the profession to send a client to 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 see you? What would be What would be some of the signs? We all experience ups and downs, right? Mm-hmm. We all have days where we're feeling a little low, a little lethargic, low energy, perhaps a little sad, or perhaps the opposite in terms of very worried and stressed. Mm-hmm. This is normal. We all experience stress, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes an issue, let's say, when you know a few days drags on for weeks, perhaps a month, a month mm-hmm. or two, where somebody's feeling off. They're not feeling like their usual self. 
Now, in our community, what do we say right away when somebody is feeling this way? Oh, you need to read more Quran. You don't have enough faith. You're not strong enough that way. Go pray. Go read Da'a. Let me ask you a question. If you break your leg, are you going to go tell that person to go pray? If you have an issue with your skin, are you going to, like the doctor that we're speaking with, doctor, would you go tell somebody, go pray, and then inshallah, this skin uh, irritation is going to go away? I have a lot of patients who think that they can do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and you know what? We do have that in our hadith that there are certain prayers that we have, but not everybody can do that. It's not magic like that. Now, the issue becomes a problem like that when we are not understanding that concept. You are not going to heal that broken leg until you put a cast on it, until you go to the doctor, do the x-rays, put a cast, change your lifestyle around that so you can function while your leg is healing. Let's take that analogy and apply it to a broken spirit. Same thing. So when somebody is not feeling well and it's dragged on for a few weeks, the signs are there. Their hygiene is not taking care of. They're not eating well or they're overeating. They're not sleeping well. They're oversleeping. You know, things like that. That's when you should go first see a doctor. Doctors, the good ones, that is, will recognize that as, you know, there's something in their in terms of their mental health is being off. Now, I just want to quickly distinguish something here. There's mental health and then there's mental illness. We all have mental health, just like we have physical illness. And we can get physically ill, just like we can get mentally ill. And so when you see a doctor, they will recognize that and send you to see, let's say, a specialist, whether it's a psychiatrist, if it's severe mental illnesses, a psychologist or a counselor. And when you go to talk to somebody, they'll, you know, you'll go through the, the symptoms and then they will work with you on a treatment plan, which could potentially include medication. And this is something that a lot of our people in our community are afraid of because you are now becoming reliant on medication to feel well. Basically, what medication does, it reduces the intensity of the symptoms at the hormonal cellular level so that you can actually work on natural methods of healing, such as taking care of your eating, getting back, making sure you're eating properly throughout the day, hydrating yourself, exercise, which is your number one stress reducer and gets rid of those stress hormones that are built up in your body. And of course, working on proper sleep. When you work on those baselines, then you can work on deeper uh, cognitive behavioral type of uh, therapy, which is changing thoughts to changing maladaptive behaviors. So this is when somebody needs to go and they recognize that. And this is the path that is usually taken to getting back on healing. All now, right. how do we bring in the spiritual and the faith base? Well, this depends on the person where they are at spiritually, what kind of counselor they see. And you can also get that spiritual help from the sheikhs and the scholars and the alimas in our community as part of a holistic treatment. All right. In the interest of time, because we're running up yes. against the clock here, um, what um, ideas would you recommend to our youngsters who are listening now? Uh, we've got a couple of minutes, uh, actually. We've got about uh, four minutes left. Uh, yes. So I will, I will give two to you and two to uh, Dr. Uh, Alou. Um, uh, what kind of um, ideas and, and suggestions would you give to any of our youngsters who would want to get in to the profession of becoming a psychotherapist? If that is something that you feel strongly about doing, it's a beautiful mix of science and uh, the soft sciences. Go with your strength. And I think this goes for any field. Go with what you are good at. Go with what you are passionate about. Go with what will bring out your full potential and abilities to be able to give back to society. And when it comes to being a mental health specialist, don't listen to those who are going to say what I was told when I wanted to go into it. You're going to be just as crazy as those people you're trying to treat. <laughs> don't listen to that. Be careful with that word now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, go with what you are given in terms of your skills Inshallah. and your talents and our abilities. And this is advice I would tell parents as well. Don't push your child to go to what you want them to do and what society expects, but do go push them and encourage them with their abilities and their strengths because that's when they're going to succeed and be happy and give back to society. Well said. Dr. Alou, and a final word from you. Uh, what suggestions would you offer to many of our youngsters who are listening to this EU Mentor Program in furthering their careers as a dermatologist? Certainly, I, I think uh, I can't I can't echo what, uh, what, what, what Sister Barack said, you know, further. I think what's 
what's incredibly important is is really finding uh, an an interest and 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 from there really figuring out a way to actualize and realize um, that interest through through ones um, you know through through some kind of intervention have a one of my mentors told me, Ali, you always have to have a shtick. You always have to have something that people will, will remember you for. Um, and in, in our society today, with social media, with, with all the resources that are available, I think it's become incredibly easy to develop an interest and, and to be innovative about how to express that interest. So again, don't pigeon your whole, don't pigeonhole yourself into mm-hmm. to the sciences or or to medicine or to engineering or something like that. <laughs> do what interests you and and really find a mechanism to express that interest. I, 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 I can't I can't stress that that further. Well, no pun intended, huh? Stress. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's been it was been an honor for me to have you both uh, um, in the studio. Well, via Skype for full discussion closure this afternoon and i hope to have you both uh on uh, different programs again soon please do not be strangers thank you again you're welcome sister barak it's been good hearing from you again and please give my uh my best salams uh to my dear brother and dear friend uh and tell him i tell him i miss him Inshallah. Inshallah. Bless you all for doing this and these wonderful programs. And don't forget us in your du'as, these we, holy nights coming up of Ramadan, yes, the last it, 15 indeed. days, inshallah. Indeed. Thank you very much to both of you. And may Allah bless you both. Inshallah. Salam alaikum. You've been listening to the You Mentor program, uh, brought to you compliments of the Umoja Foundation. If you'd like to, to know more, you can log on to their website. Uh, if you'd like to register and uh, and hear this program, you can actually tune into their podcasts at the You Mentor. I believe it's on SoundCloud, uh, and I believe it's also on YouTube. I'll have more information on that, uh, and you can also hear a repeat of this program, uh, inshallah, tomorrow at the same time. We're going to try and fit it in, uh, in fa- right here on WASR. Dot life. Tune in next time for more great interviews with some of our uh, some of the great movers and shakers in Islam, uh, so that we can help to mentor our young people.